Hi, this is Andy Hoffman of CryptoGoldCentral.com, the sound money blog of the 21st century. Three weeks in, and I could not be happier with the blog's message, content, and rapidly growing subscriber base, featuring users from multiple continents and myriad walks of life. Together, we are on a quest to the future of money, in which gold plays a passive role and Bitcoin is the center of the monetary universe. Try our free seven-day trial membership and feel free to contact me anytime at ahoffman at cryptogoldcentral.com. That said, it's time for our main event, i.e. the fourth installment of CGC's one-on-one -on -one podcast series, in which I discuss key themes and events in the world of cryptocurrency with business people, content producers, users, and observers from various backgrounds in myriad nations. Today, it's an understatement to say I'm honored to have Simon Dixon with us, given how much knowledge he has to impart and how beneficial his efforts have been to the Bitcoin community at large. Simon, like myself, is a former banker in the legacy asset realm, but has become one of the cryptocurrency community's most diversified and influential investors. Through his Bank to the Future platform, his companies have invested nearly $200 million in the space and likely will be dramatically increasing this amount in the coming years. Simon, it's a pleasure having you here, all the way from Hong Kong, on One on One. Hey, thanks for having me, Andy. Looking forward to seeing what we can discuss. Yes, uh, I'll do my best to be interesting. So before I start asking questions about the world of Bitcoin and other related topics, please let us know exactly what Bank to the Future does. What have, you been, what have been some of your most successful crypto investments and how it came, how it came your global speaking tour with, it came to be your global speaking tour with Jim Rogers, one of the world's most successful mainstream investors? Okay. All right. Well, uh, banktothefuture.com is a platform for um, accredited and high net worth investors to invest in anything involved in the future of finance. So um, we, we set about um, investing in, you know, I, I wrote a book called Bank to the Future originally. Um, and uh, this, this book was the, the first book that included Bitcoin, I believe. I, I haven't come across another one at the time. Um, and uh, we believe that fintech companies were going to chip away at banking one step at a time and that the traditional system was um, had some real systemic risks that were going to cause it more and more issues. Um, and uh, we decided, we, you know, I, I had an investment thesis that uh, fintech companies are going to take over more and more of the functions of banks and traditional financial institutions. Um, and the cryptocurrency was going to play a bigger and bigger and more important role in the future of finance. And so banktothefuture.com spent, well, approximately four years dealing with regulators, um, trying to just create this process for people to be able to invest online and co-invest with us. Um, and once we went through that whole process, um, we decided that uh, because we had invested in um, Bitcoin and we weren't really in a position where we needed to build a scalable startup and get VC funding and all that stuff because uh, we held sound money and that sound money had treated us very well. Um, we decided to use Bank to the Future to fulfill the, the, the vision and passion of trying to move this whole crypto blockchain space forward um, and facilitate the movement of some of the top, the, rather than waiting for top-down reforms from governments, we decided to invest in all the bottom-up companies that were going to make a difference in the future of finance. The challenge is, is we didn't know which companies would succeed. We knew there'd be failures along the way. So we wanted to be as well diversified as possible. Um, so we created Bank to the Future as a way to um, really invest in some really cool things and allow investors that are allowed to co-invest with us to invest on the same terms. Um, and so that's really it. Um, we've now invested in approximately... Uh, I think over 100, I haven't got the latest number, but definitely over 100 companies in the Bitcoin blockchain sector from the largest exchanges like Bitfinex, Bitstamp, Kraken, um, to uh, some of the more uh, you know um, interesting plays like uh, Bitpaysa in Africa and uh, Unocoin and CoinSecure in India um, and Bitmurray in Zimbabwe. Um, and just really looking at all these different areas and seeing how um, we could, you know, put put some capital in there to really move the the vision forward of getting to this 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 world of finance that we believe um, we're headed to. And and, and uh, please tell me, I was the end of the question. Uh, pardon, I asked a three part question. You know, Jim Rogers is someone who 
I followed, uh, I'm not even sure you'd call me a mainstream person. I mean, I certainly was early in my career, but being in the precious metal space for many, many years, close to 15 years, uh, he was certainly someone that people looked up to and someone that spoke uh, a lot about precious metals and certainly not about the kind of things that you talk about. Uh, so I'm just really you know, curious. I think a lot of people would be curious how it came to be that you did this speaking tour around the world uh, with Jim Rogers. Yeah, so the tour we did was in China, um, and Jim Rogers is very bullish on China. He uh, still believes that USD is the best fiat currency in the world, um, but he's bearish on America, you know, and saying that it's, uh, it's crippled with debt and the Fed is in a bigger issue than it was before the crisis. And so he's really bearish on, um, and he believes that China is going to be the next superpower, um, and he believes that, you know, in, in, in hard money. Now, um, I got to spend some time with him one-to-one -one because uh, he wanted to do a tour of China um, and he also, um, the, 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 the person that was organizing the event wanted me to discuss Bitcoin and some of the real up-and-coming stuff. So uh, we got to spend a lot of time together on tour and um, really the, the, the end result was that, you know, his, his words were, you know, I'm, I'm I barely know how to use a computer, let alone Bitcoin, but I can certainly see that the cryptocurrencies are going to change the world. They're going to change everything. Um, and I, I got him to understand um, the value the, the value of it. Um, he, he understands it from the perspective of gold, owning your own money, um, or an asset that, that acts, I guess, somewhat like money. Um, and uh, in the end, I think I got him to admit that uh, gold has now really become a hedge against an internet failure because while the internet still exists, um, Bitcoin is a, is a better form of money um, to a certain degree. Um, and uh, so gold is a hedge against internet failure. And now I think I go one step further. I believe that gold is a hedge against Bitcoin failure. Yeah. Well, and I bring it up because, of course, uh, I've been in the gold sector for so long, but then again, I was in the mainstream sector for so long before that, and I'm probably one of the few people who's kind of trying to bridge the gap. And it's just, you know, between uh, just about everyone in the mainstream and in the alternative media, such as uh, people in the gold world, uh, either don't want to do their homework on Bitcoin or, or think it's a threat or just uh, lash out it without doing the research. And, you know, part of you know, my premise has been is that the younger generations are the ones that are going to be ruling the world and they're the ones who look at computers. But there's very few people uh, of the older generations who want to uh, or can, uh, you know, you know, a dog change, uh, old dog changing his tricks. So I just want to, you know, see if there's really any hope for the older generations or if it's going to be all up to the younger generations who are going to be embracing Bitcoin, because I personally agree with you 100 percent. I mean, no one is more known as a quote gold bug, uh, which I'm really not than me, but I believe that Bitcoin is by far the superior asset and it's it's going to be the asset of the future. Yeah, so the, the opening um, paragraph of the book, when I, I did the first draft pre-Bitcoin and the second draft in 2011, um, the, the opening of the book was for those, those that do not understand the rules that govern finance, technology and money, um, are just going to have a very hard time over the, the, the years and decades ahead. Um, unfortunately, it's not, a, it's not a process that I'm, I'm looking forward to. Um, you know, while I have completely um, managed my finances around my belief about what the future of finance, technology, and money is going to look like, um, to me, you know, in order for my portfolio to perform, wanting the banks to fail and the traditional finance to implode and, 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 and go the way I believe it will go um, is a very undesirable outcome. I would hate to be as selfish as to say that, you know, in order for my Bitcoin to perform, everyone has to lose their money in the banking system because that's a very ugly, um, horrible, undesirable world to live in. Um, but there's certain undeniable trends and um, I don't think that we're going to end up in that kind of zombie apocalypse world that, pe that many people do forecast when the banks do go bust. But I do believe the banks will go bust and people need to reposition themselves around um, that. Now, the challenge is, and this is just not really related to money and Bitcoin, but it's related to the world in general, is that older people that were brought up in a world 
where they were less they were less used to adapting to change so if you look at I, I was kind of right in the middle when I was at school we didn't have computers we were using pen and paper still but the second I left school when I went to college at university um, we were using computers for everything so I was in that transition now I could have gone one or two ways I could have just stuck in in the slow moving world which doesn't change um, but I was forced in, you know, because I was entering the career market in a time when everything was going digital. If I didn't adjust, then I just wouldn't have a job um, at the time. And so unfortunately, we're in this, you know, my, my parents, um, they were around in a time when there was very little change. You know, new technologies came around that really changed things maybe once every 20 years. Um, today, new technologies in, in the Bitcoin and blockchain sector I'm full time in the space and I cannot keep up with all the changes that are happening, even though it's my full time job as an investor to actually be on top of it. Um, so the rate of change and the pace of change is something that a certain generation that wasn't used to change is very uncomfortable with. Now, the younger people, they've kind of been brought up around everything I'm learning today will be irrelevant next year. Um, and I, I have found if I look back at my presentations last year, um, I often look at myself and say, you know, while there may be the overall arching trends of what I think is going to happen, the way in which it happens is, is completely different often to um, how one would have thought because this new technology came along and changes everything. Now, if, 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 if you are in a, a mindset of not being able to adapt to such change, then unfortunately you are going to be somebody that is really um, either you know bitter and twisted about how the world's going going to be, um, and you know I, I notice this a lot in in in, in gold as well. Um, the gold community are stuck to their belief, no matter what the market shows them, no matter what happens, um, no matter what comes along, they're not willing to kind of rethink some of the assumptions that were true when they first got into gold that are no longer true today. Um, and so, you know, it's really just um, rather than an old versus young thing, it is just are you willing to adapt to change and are, we, are you willing to question some of your belief systems and are you willing to actually embrace what might be um, different from how you've done things in the past? And that's painful. Learning new things, doing new things means that you're really bad at it in the beginning. You're a novice. Um, but you, you know, you have to, this is the world that we live in today. And unfortunately, if you don't understand the rules that govern finance, technology and money, um, then let's hope that you've made your nest egg. You're fully diversified around the world. But even then, even if you are completely wealthy from wealth that you built in the old world, um, you still need to make sure that you've diversified some of your wealth into, even if you don't believe it. Um, a, a system that works outside of finance and a system that works outside of gold that allows you to you know send money that you own around the world and based upon sound principles so even if you don't believe it um, portfolio theory um, means that you should definitely consider diversifying some of your wealth into what might be that you may not understand at this point yeah i mean uh, you talk about your parents hadn't seen a world of change i would say i haven't seen a world of change up until a year or two ago it was the same thing and if you're in the precious metal community you're think you're seeing that same world of non-change of simply money printing and uh and really all negative outcomes i mean and still the fiat currency system has all negative outcomes as far as uh as far as i can see but for the first time uh in my career i am optimistic and it's solely because of Bitcoin, because I think that it can actually, uh, I mean, yes, there are going to be parts of the world that suffer like Venezuela, and there are going to be parts of the world that suffer not quite as Venezuela, but it may seem that way because they're maybe first world nations that aren't supposed to have anything but the best. But uh, yeah, it, you, you have to change because this, to me, this technology has changed everything I've ever known about, about money. And, uh, and if, if people don't change, they're not going to, A, have a chance to participate, and B, they are going to be unhappy because they're going to feel like the world's passing them by. And, and I mean, I would say there's been more change in the last two years in, uh, based on fintech than in, the, in my entire life. Well, the message that I'd like people to know is that, um, you know, what your future looks like is now a choice. Um, 
you know, this, this invention called Bitcoin um, and this invention that's coming from Bitcoin, in, in it's got all sorts of problems that, you know, we could sit here and focus on all of its problems. But what it has done incredibly well is it's allowed anyone with an internet connection to participate in a financial system that, that where they can own their own assets, they can spend it as they wish, and it is based upon sound monetary policy. Now, while Venezuela um, might, the, the Venezuelan government might completely screw up everything in their economy, um, they have a choice whether they want to embrace the new or actually, you know, kind of stick with the traditional. But not only that, but the people of Venezuela, to a certain degree, I accept that, you know, me as an English person living in Hong Kong, um, have, you know, it's very easy for me to say, you know, the, with the, the amount of opportunity that gets opened up to me, just simply because of my passport, the color of the skin and the, the luck that I was born into, I understand that that um, gives me, you know, more opportunities, which I think is very unfair. Um, but the reality is, is that there's this new thing that's coming along that does encourage that, that can give people participation. So, you know, if I was, if I was um, advising a small African central bank right now what they should be doing, um, you know, uh, I, I would be encouraging people to break away from some of these fiat um, money controls. And I, I, I can assure you, if you want to catch up with an economy like China, if you want to catch up with an economy like US, then it's at least worth a tiny bet, and this tiny bet for a country would be take some of your country's electricity, allocate it towards mining Bitcoin, um, and sit on that Bitcoin and see what happens over the next 20 years. You might just be sat on an appreciating asset class that takes your central bank and makes you one of the next superpowers. And if that doesn't happen, okay, so you've only you know allocated a small amount to it. But any wise central bank that's not a superpower, that's not vested in protecting the US dollar or the renminbi or something like that, has an incredible opportunity. And this is why, you know, Bitcoin, you know, has this, this at the moment, it's a, it's a very niche user case. The niche user case is owning your own money, being able to spend your money on things that no one can stop you spending it on, and also having a deflationary store of value, which allows you... Um, which encourages savings rather than encouraging debt, whereas traditional fiat money encourages debt and therefore the value of your US dollars, if you don't add to the supply and add to your savings, are always going to make you poorer and poorer and poorer and the same with every traditional currency. The government will tell you how you can spend it and if they don't like how you spend it, they'll, they'll stop you. Um, the user experience on traditional money is getting worse and worse and worse because of government's agendas to eliminate ownership um, where you can own your money like cash and so and also the you know the government's agenda to actually make sure that they remain in control of their their traditional currency is making the user experience of traditional money worse and worse and worse but central banks have you know small niche central banks have the opportunity to become what i believe will make them one of the next global superpowers if they wanted to they have that choice right now um, they can they can do that, but they may not. They may need to go through disaster in in you know in in getting there. But also, you don't need to actually be subject to the mercy of what your government has decided is your fate anymore. You can now own your money, you can spend your money, and you can create your own monetary policy. And you don't have to do this in a reckless way. You know, everyone is capable of taking ten percent of their you know, income, if, you know, I, I do appreciate there's some people that can't do this and don't have 10%. So I'm not trying to say, you know, but what I'm just trying to impress upon people is that there are ways now of taking back self-sovereignty and not being subject to the mercy of whether your government succeeds or fails. You know, that's a risk you can diversify out of now. And that came from Bitcoin, that came from blockchain, that has never existed before. Well, we're talking about the old versus the new and how people need to embrace the change. And I'm, you know, when you think about uh, despotic governments um, and what their power base has always been has been the printing press. It hasn't been a very effective power base. It doesn't last long. It's not a very happy uh, power base, but that's what's worked. And I think that that a lot of these governments, like you talk about, realize that they could be just as powerful 
just by embracing Bitcoin. It's that simple. The people will be happier and the people will will, will want to give them more uh, as opposed to look, looking to get rid of them at the first uh, chance. And, and yeah, well, I'd, be, I'd make yeah. a distinction. Yeah. Countries that are in power right now, I don't think they have much to gain from Bitcoin. You know, it's why that they're all looking at blockchain yeah. as a defense mechanism to um, attack Bitcoin eventually. If they haven't realized it now, they will realize it eventually. So um, they don't have much to gain. But the economies that aren't in power right now, that are at the mercy of yeah. some of the more powerful states and government, they have an incredible opportunity. You know, look at what Iceland did. Um, they, after the financial crisis, after the banking system tore down, you know, their, their small economy that was working very well, um, they chucked out the bankers, they got rid of it, and they decided to take you know control of their own. And they're really open and embracing to um, you know new ways of doing things and looking at cryptocurrencies. And you know they just decided that's now these small economies, these smaller economies have just such an amazing opportunity um, if they understand the economics of this and they embrace this. But the larger economies that are already in control right now that have, you know, have supported a banking system that might eventually lead to the destruction of so many people's wealth and savings, um, they have not much to, to gain from this. Um, but there is actually, and if we get time to talk about it, uh, maybe we'll close the show with, there is an outcome that I believe, and you know, I am a cup half full type person, um, but I believe there's an outcome that can work very well for, for everybody as well. And um, but it, you know, it requires some 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 kind of embracing and thinking about um, some of the trends that are that are moving forward. Yeah, look, I mean, America was once a very small economy, and uh, Spain was once the biggest economy in the world. So there will be changes that we know. And this is, if any any time in history, there's been an opportunity for big changes to be made in the power order of the power base of the Earth. This is it. So we'll see who makes smart choices and who doesn't. So. Uh, next, I'd like to probe you on your thoughts of the future of, of Bitcoin, as frankly, you've probably imparted more valuable insights on the topic than anyone in the community, uh, for which I cannot thank you enough. To do so, I'd like to break Bitcoin down first from the standpoint of the investment background you view it through. First, from the risk side of the risk reward balance, I'd like to hear your view on what you, what you viewed as Bitcoin's principal investment risks a year ago compared to what you see as the top risk today. Andreas fears the ramifications of a broad 2008-style financial crisis, which, of course, could just as easily play in Bitcoin's favor as work against it. But what I'd like to know is how you view Bitcoin's principal risks from a year ago through today. So um, Bitcoin this year is completely different to what it was last year. Um, if you told me last year that we would um, have a split in the community, um, that uh, 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 what's called a hard fork would happen, whereby um, uh, you know uh, another implementation of Bitcoin comes along. Um, and if you told me that the you know JP Morgan was going to launch a you know a, a, a fraudulent claim against what Bitcoin is, and if you told me that the Chinese government were also going to take steps to shut down exchanges, I would have told you that there's not a chance in hell. That the price of Bitcoin would be four and a half thousand dollars, because when when you know when I first got involved in this in two thousand and eleven, um, we were one hundred percent at the whim and mercy of of who would accept Bitcoin, which governments would embrace it, which government said something bad, um, if one merchant started adopting it, um, you know, if one government it, it was you know it was a completely volatile wild ride. Um, but now we're in a completely different environment. Um, Bitcoin has now um, is what I call the institutional accumulation phase. And the institutional accumulation phase is where all of the people that have been told about this blockchain thing have started to realize that there's only real one blockchain that is investable in at the moment, and that's Bitcoin. And the economics of it um, are starting to be understood by more and more people. Um, I, I created a, an interview recently called The Economics of Bitcoin, which I don't want to go over, you know, let's, let's, let's leave these interviews differently because I think we're taking a different direction. But um, once you understand the economics of Bitcoin um, and more and more people are understanding the economics of Bitcoin, um, you understand how, yes, there's risk here. There's a few things that can go wrong. The first is maybe it turns out that Bitcoin can't scale. 
um, and Bitcoin cannot meet the ginormous demands that the world wants to throw at it as more and more gold people start diversifying away into Bitcoin, as more financial products start going on the Bitcoin blockchain, as more people realize that this is a deflationary um, asset class where people, which encourages savings, as more people realize that they can now send money in a censorship resistant way, as more people realize that there's going to be more wars on cash and their cash is going to be illegal in the future, as more people realize that their banks are going to be bailed in and that their fiat money might have systemic risks that they don't quite understand yet. As more people realize that the governments are actually um, in an insolvent position right now, but uh, you know, they have to use financial engineering in order to actually prop up the traditional system. And at some point, that financial engineering might actually involve using Bitcoin and the blockchain. As, poor people, as more and more people realize this, with each year, the number, the demand for Bitcoin increases. Now, the supply is never going to change. In fact, it's going to go down. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins and a lot of those are lost and more people are going to lose them because there's a cost to actually owning your own asset and that is that you need to learn how to secure it. And some people's personal security is very bad and you need to learn personal security as a new skill set that's essential for all in order to own your own wealth. And no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, you need to learn some basic skills about not having the same password for everything. Um, and how to use a password manager to mix up your passwords, how to store your own um, you know, information and look after your own assets. Now, while those are very foreign concepts to many people, uh, these are concepts that everybody, no matter who you are, has to learn. You've been doing it with gold. You, know, you either give your gold with somebody else and you manage the risks about how to let somebody else look after it, and you've been doing it with your cash where you either keep it in a safe or you give it to a safety deposit box or you keep it under the mattress and you have to start thinking about how you manage your gold, how you manage your money. Well, you have to do the same with digital money as well, but it's, uh, you know, so it's just skill sets that you have to learn. Or you can just be lazy and not decide to learn this and leave all your money at the whims of everyone else. Um, but what are the key risks with Bitcoin? Well, if you need to store, if you need to spend money short term, then Bitcoin is very volatile in terms of if you are thinking of it in terms of your domestic currency. So if you want to spend money on bread, then Bitcoin is not a very good currency because your bread could cost you, you know, a quarter as much as it would. Um, so as a, as a short term, um, you know, it, it, it's very hard to actually use. Now, over the years, because Bitcoin is technology, we can build products into that that allow you to hedge it, to hold it pegged to the gold or pegged to US dollar. Um, but you know the user experience for these things are not quite ready for mass adoption. They will be, it's only a question of time. Um, so that's one of the key, you know, is that people don't understand how to use it short term. Um, the second thing is um, the, the ability for it to scale. Um, this has been a long-term and long-standing debate. And uh, I believe that Bitcoin has you know, uh, in a very uh, interesting, very good and healthy ecosystem where the, the, the people creating these Bitcoins called miners don't control it. The developers that are deciding, you know, recommending changes don't, don't control it. And it's being kept honest with, you know, hard forks and, and, and other alternative competing altcoins in order to try and make sure that the development team um, know that there's threat of other things coming along if they don't continue to do that. While I don't think that's a, a completely valid threat, it completely helps with the ecosystem. Um, the businesses don't control it because they try and get their way and they can only lobby to try and, you know, and, and get that. Users don't quite get their way. Um, but in the end, it's created this free market, amazing um, environment uh, whereby no one fully controls it and it is truly decentralized in the sense there's pockets of centralization, but the end result is, is truly decentralized and it's the most decentralized thing we have ever seen. Um, you may criticize it for, for, for some of its pockets of centralization, but we've never seen anything like it. Right. Um, and so that's one of the, you know, the, the risk is, does it scale? And we are making incredible progress um, towards that scaling and that has been the real focus of it. 
Um, and the other, I guess, the, the major risk that people look about is, you know, the, the true privacy and what the future of privacy is around that because it's pseudonymous, um, the transactions are trackable and traceable, um, but you don't know who is actually behind it and, you know, things are going to get more and more sophisticated to track who is behind those transactions. Um, but that's just a simply development roadmap. There's a lot of innovation happening on alternatives to Bitcoin that Bitcoin will adopt as and when it sees fit and safe. So these are kind of like the, you know, the, the, the real questionable things. But in terms of what the major risk used to be, it was, is there enough demand to meet the supply? And that is solved right now. There is way more demand to meet the supply. And the supply is, although it increases, um, people are losing Bitcoins and things like that, which means that there's only so many of them. There's only going to be 21 million of these things. Um, in the next 10, I think another 18 years, almost 90% of them will all be created. And so we're at the accumulation phase where every time someone attacks Bitcoin, the institutions are all accumulating and trying to suck up as many Bitcoins as they can. And so they're kind of, you know, creating lots of these announcements to fear you into selling your Bitcoins so that others can accumulate them at cheaper and cheaper rates because everyone knows there's only going to be so many of these things. Um, and the demand in user cases is going up and up and up and the supply is not changing. Right. And, and uh, you know, the way I look at it from a year ago, uh, to me, it was more a matter of what, what can the network be split? I mean, can the 21 million coins be stable? You've talked about this. I mean, I'm a monetary guy. That was all that mattered to me. And that was proven in spades uh, after the hard fork that we saw that the, the network cannot be split and there will not ever be more than 21 million Bitcoins. Uh, as for scaling, I think that's more of a higher level problem that some of the people who are deeper into the space like yourself are focused on. But, you know, as Andreas says, it uh, like the Internet, it'll scale ungracefully, but it certainly we certainly have better technology now than we did when the Internet came out. So that was never a worry to me. But the bigger worry was can someone destroy the network? And uh, I think they, they can. So like you said, now we're going to have those higher uh, level problems of how to scale the network where people are not going to be in fear. And now that the, you know, like the biggest government in the world, the Chinese, uh, you know, showed the hand uh, of the big governments and failed to, to really have much of an impact. Uh, I think, you know, I think there's going to be some real smooth sailing as far as the fear factors going away, not the technological issues that have to be scaled. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, you talk about people don't want to change and they may, may people don't want to change. I get it. Inertia. Uh, but I mean, man, when you use this stuff for the simplest transaction, you compare it to what you, you know, what you were used to using, uh, be it in, in, in the banking system, in the fiat currency system, it is really the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. And I can't imagine how everyone will not be wanting to use this and loving using it in a very short period of time that's just you know assuming they have access to it and the interesting thing is none of that needs to happen for bitcoin to achieve in you know an become an incredible store of value an incredible um you know way of transferring value censorship resistance from person to person if we just continue where we are right now there is already more demand than supply um, if we just continue on the trends that we're already doing, the, now while if we get mass adoption in terms of people using it, then that's only going to add in, you know, more demand to the supply, the ever-increasing supply. But none of that needs to happen. We are already at the phase where Bitcoin to me is virtually unstoppable. Um, you know, the, the, there are obviously some cer certain risks involved in this because it's a, it's a new thing. It doesn't have the history of gold. Um, so you've got to factor in some kind of risk factor there. Um, but it's virtually, you know, un and, and government said this phase right now, the biggest mistake that the banks made, the, 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 the decision that I think will go down in history will be the, the, as one of the biggest mistakes the banks ever made that lost them their power is the day that they decided to not try and tear down Bitcoin while it was small but try and promote blockchain. When they, set, when they started promoting blockchain as a defense mechanism against Bitcoin power, um, that was the day the entire world got educated about this concept called blockchain. Free, the best free advertising ever. 
it was the most amazing free advertising. Then governments came along, then central banks came along, and the entire world started talking blockchain. That got an incredible amount of interest in there. And still to this day, there's only really one major user case of blockchain, which is Bitcoin. Um, and everything else is kind of speculative. Um, there's definitely going to be disruption in Wall Street. Um, we're already seeing that. There's definitely going to be disruption in Silicon Valley. We're already seeing that. Um, and there's definitely going to be disruption in retail banking and, and many other things that we're already seeing. Um, but the day the banks really, really, um, you know, kind of put the last nail in the coffin, was the day they started promoting blockchain as a defense mechanism against Bitcoin. Right, and uh, I'll, I'll finish this segment because again, we're talking about the, it, this is the investment side we're talking about now. Oh. That as a, in the gold sector, you are taught to believe or you're, you know, it's in your, your DNA that you need a zombie apocalypse to succeed in the sector. And if you get that, you're probably not gonna get to enjoy your gold. You know, that's why I think if you do hold gold right now, uh, it's going to become a passive investment and one that governments don't really focus a lot of time on because Bitcoin is going to be the primary focus. You, you may just get to to enjoy the, the having the gold, although there's no way it's going to go up as much as Bitcoin will. Gold, I think, its principal move up will be when the government just leaves it alone. But after that, uh, it's going to be a nice passive store of value because we're moving into this from the Flintstone age to the Star Trek age and the Star Trek age will be dominated by Bitcoin. So next, let on that note, let's talk about Bitcoin's potential role in the monetary future and what role, if any, fiat currency, precious metals, and all other monetary assets might play. In other words, do you foresee a Bitcoin-centric, globally decentralized monetary system or a niche asset class focused on wealth storage, digital, digital transactions, or both? And the way you view the world, how long might this take to develop? Um, I don't see either of those, actually. I see somewhat in the middle. Um, I don't think that fiat will ever go, and I don't think um, the world will be a better place if it does go. Um, I believe that every country needs um, some kind of more stable um, you know, a, a way of thinking whereby the price of, of um, bread and goods is the same, you know, is almost the same throughout the year. Um, I think people will always spend money in fiat in their national currencies. But what is going to change significantly is the user experience that people have with their money. And so by user experience, I mean, at the moment, you can go to an ATM and you can withdraw cash and you can spend that cash and that cash is money that you own or you can you know, land in a country and you can sell your service for cash and that's private money. Um, that is all going to be taken away in the future. No cash is nothing but a pain in the arse um, that governments have to leave in place just in case the banking system collapses and you know you, you need some kind of hedge um, when technology is down or your phone's not working or something like that. So that's the only cash that's going to be left in the future. But governments do not want you to have cash. I believe that um, I just tweeted that there was a bill passed um, not passed, sorry, bill proposed um, in the US right now that states if you own Bitcoin cash or anything that exists outside a bank like gold, then you need to report in writing to the government and let them know what you own. That is significantly decreasing the user experience of money. When you have to use what was meant to be private money and you have to report it to the government, then people are going to want to do, you know, they, they're, they're going to want to do different things with that money. They're going to, their behaviors are going to change. And so what I believe the, you know, so this war on cash is going to be a, a major, major change and shift, and that's going to be top-down led. Um, the other thing is that there is ginormous systemic risk in the banking system. If you, if you hold your money at a bank, then you are not the legal owner of that money. That money is not being spent by you. It's being spent by the bank on what they think is the right credit risk model of how to lend it. And it's got a monetary policy, which means that this value is guaranteed to go, go you know, decrease your purchasing power over time. And because, you know, digital, by the way, Bitcoin didn't invent digital currency. Digital currency was already invented by the banks. 
Um, the money at your bank is a digital currency. It's a digital representation of the money that you think your government created. So um, your money in online banking is just a digital version of the money that you, the cash that you think the, the government's creating. So this was already invented um, <clears throat> already, but the challenge is, is that money is all backed by debt. And in order to increase the money supply, you have to increase the debt. And so that means that you have ever increasing um, ways that banks create new financial innovation as a way to get more people into debt because it increases the bottom line of the bank and the governments like it because it, it looks like economic prosperity. And in a sense, it is economic prosperity. Um, but the problem is, is it, it is all backed by debt. <clears throat> um, and when money is backed by debt, you have systemic risk events. And <clears throat> you know we, they, those are just increasing more and more and more. And what I believe is that uh, the governments aren't going to allow, <clears throat> in the next systemic risk event like we've seen, there's going to be two things. Either the banks are going to bail in your money and just take, repossess the money that is legally entitled to them, like they did in Cyprus, or they're going to choose what they did in the rest of the world where the governments are going to bail them out. But the challenge is, I don't think the public has the appetite to bail out again during the next systemic risk event. I don't think the public will let it. I think there'll be riots on the street. <clears throat> um, so what I believe is going to happen instead is that the governments are now creating their central bank digital fiat money. Think about the money in a bank as digital fiat that was created by your retail bank. The, it was created as a loan and it exists if somebody else is in debt. Well, what governments and central banks can do now is they can, they can create their own digital fiat. And what they can do is they can allow you, the bank, to go bust because the, the government, the, the public's appetite to bail out won't allow it, to, won't want it to happen. And then you can exchange your money at the retail bank during the next systemic risk event, which is guaranteed, inevitable, and predictable, um, for money that is created, digital cash that's created at a central bank. Now, the challenge with central bank created money is it has a plus. The plus is that there's no debt um, attached to it. Um, it's not like fear at your bank where you have to have more debt in order to have more money. It's debt-free money. Um, but the problem is, is that money, that form of money will be, it's like at least money at a digital currency at a bank is one step removed from the government. This will be one step closer to the government, which will mean they will automate tax collection. They will, um, you know, they will put the onus on you to prove that you don't own tax and you have to claim it back. If they don't like exactly where the money is being spent or what, what country you're traveling to, they will switch it off much more easier and they will implement artificial intelligence and all sorts of stuff that make your money a worse and worse user experience. You know, just kind of like it is with bank money right now, you land in a country, you spend that money three times and you've got to try and figure out how to get a new SIM card and call your bank or make an overseas call because they switched you off because they're trying to detect some kind of fraud and you're telling them that you're in this country, that's going to get worse and worse and worse with central bank um, digital currency. And so what that will do is it will drive people as the user experience for cash gets worse, as the user experience for digital money, digital fiat gets worse, it will drive more and more people to wanting to own their own money, spend their own money, and have a user experience that doesn't mean um, that central banks, governments, and, and private banks are actually intercepting um, how they spend their money. And these, these currencies as well, they're going to be completely interoperable and interchangeable um, for Bitcoin. And I believe the future trend is that people will save the money that's deflationary, um, that has a scarce money supply, where the demand is always increasing, but the supply is, is increasing at a smaller rate but they will spend the inflationary money, the money that encourages you to go into debt rather than save, the money that goes down in value, the money that's controlled and the money that doesn't give you the user experience you need. However, it has one plus side, and that is it has a stable value when, when goods are priced within your, within your economy. So the trend I think we will see is more and more people holding as least of their money in digital fiat and as much of their money in digital currency that's public. And I believe that Bitcoin has got a, a network effect that can't be reversed right now. And that's the same use case for holding gold. You don't want to spend it. You uh, just you want to hold it and you want to spend the dollars. 
And, uh, you know, the big pink elephant in the room is it's so easy to get so excited and optimistic about what Bitcoin can bring. But the fact is it came about because of the financial crisis showing us that the fiat system was dying. And uh, that fiat system is no better today than it was. It's a lot worse than it was in 2008. So, you know, while all this is going on, the system is going to be uh, under greater amount of stress and Bitcoin is not going to help that stress for the people trying to maintain it. So yes, you're going to see more regulation and more attacks. And, you know, if that's true, what you're saying, a proposal, I mean, they're not ready for it yet, but you know, when, when crises come around, things like that can get proposed. They were talking about in 2008, confiscating IRAs. And if they really are going to try, uh, you know, we have rules here called FBAR and, and FATCA, which are trying to make you report pretty much everything you own uh, that's outside of the country. If they're going to try to make you report, say, your Bitcoin holdings, well, that's going to create a new revolution and new innovation is going to be uh, needed for to help people uh, to get through that. And people, you know, need to educate themselves very quickly because if that's true, uh, it's starting now. I mean, I, I wrote the other day about how when Jamie Dimon made his comments in the Chinese that the fiat crypto wars have begun. So there will be a crisis at some point. It's mathematical certainty. And when it's there, uh, you're going to be thankful you're going to have Bitcoin. And you're also going to be even more thankful if you've done some work to try to educate yourself like you have. And you're telling everyone to do about how to uh, use it wisely. Now, next, um, as you uh, may or may not be aware, I became well known uh, in the financial blogosphere discussing and analyzing the manipulation of essentially all legacy markets, which in turn has enabled the largest, most destructive fiat Ponzi scheme to last far longer than it should have and cause far more damage. Uh, I believe Bitcoin, while not immune from insider trading, given its total lack of regulation, is as freely traded of a market as anything I've seen, uh, certainly since the 2008 crisis, uh, principally because derivative markets are barely existent, uh, governments own for now very little Bitcoin, if any, and most importantly, the mechanism and motivation for collusion uh, neither exists yet or is likely to any time soon. That said, individual governments will unquestionably fight Bitcoin to the death like the Chinese are doing. And the more Bitcoin succeeds at the expense of the fiat Ponzi that they draw their power from, the more they'll fight back. To that end, I'd like to know what you anticipate the, 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 the response of governments will be as a whole to be, uh, to be to Bitcoin's rise. Do you think the majority will fight back or that they will be forced to submit to a force far more powerful than fiat currency? And if they do, do you think they can succeed in stopping Bitcoin or at the least taking a majority of the global monetary market share? Um, I think we, we've got, you know, user case of what, what, what can happen. And you just got to look at, um, you know, the, the world of business. In the world of business, you have a new technology that comes along. Um, and you either, you know, most people, you know, mock it, laugh at it, um, um, or they actually adapt to it. Um, and so really governments have a choice and they initially can decide to completely dismiss it and let it be. Um, they could decide to embrace it and create, you know, some kind of integration like they, like we have seen in Japan. Uh, they can choose to completely ban it like we, like we, you know, we might see in China. We haven't got the full confirmation, but there's certainly some pushback there. Um, and everyone's going to really make their own choice. But the one thing that's not going to stop is that Bitcoin's just not going to stop. It's going to still be, um, you know, a, a, a store of value that you can own, um, that you can send to anyone that has an internet connection. And that user case is already means that once more and more people realize that, it's going to be, um, it, 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 you know, the demand is going to be greater than supply, as, as, as stated. Um, but how governments react is very hard to know uh, what they're going to do next, but they're gonna, we're going to see case studies of everything. Um, we already saw that when China tried to attack it, the price is still exactly the same. It had a big blip. It came back down. It came back up because there's real utility and real demand for this stuff. Um, and now we're exactly where we were before the announcement. Um, and so we're going to see a lot more of that. We're going to see, um, you know, with announcements of all sorts of stuff, but Bitcoin's already reaching this. So at the moment, it's still a very small asset class. Um, you know, I think we're on about 75 billion at the moment, uh, which relative to the size of gold is, is still very, very small. And, and many traditional currencies is very, very small. So we're still at a phase right now where people can put vast wealth into manipulating the price if they wish. 
Um, they are at the phase right now where technically um, it's pretty much impossible to shut it down. I mean, they'd have to target 50% of all the computers all around the world. They'd have to invest significant resource into trying to you know, um, hack all those uh, nodes and computers simultaneously. I mean, it would be an incredibly expensive exercise with immense geographical and technical challenges to try and take it down. That wasn't always the case. Um, that is only, you know, that is the case today. Um, so that that kind of, um, the, the that type of threat, you know, they could, uh, you know, Russia could decide to bomb mining farms in China and that will have its impact on price and the, the mining farms will pop up somewhere else because the difficulty rate will change and it will create a new opportunity um, for another country to take advantage of all those profits and accumulate cheap bitcoins and it starts over. Um, but, you know, price manipulation is something that has, that is real. Um, you know, one of the reasons why the um, the ETF might have come in a little bit early because it might have driven a lot of institutional speculation. I think we're at that phase right now. You know, we're um, we're investors in many of the exchanges, and they are signing up hedge funds. They're signing up institutional investors. Um, you know, it's it's growing in terms of that that type of money, and it's still you know very niche, very small. There's there's everyone knows about it right now. Um, you know, we're at that phase where most people in the world have hit Bitcoin. Most of the pockets of money um, have actually, you know, had started to investigate this. And very few of them have actually studied the economics of Bitcoin and understood what it actually is. But those who have are all racing for the cheap Bitcoins right now and trying to scoop up some of that supply. Um, but the, in, in terms of, you know, it's very hard to, to second guess what governments are going to do next. Um, could anyone manipulate price right now? Well, yeah, I mean that that can certainly be achieved um, in a in a low liquidity environment that's getting more and more liquid. Um, the only thing it does do is it, uh, in a certain degree, as more and more exchanges become decentralized, as more and more financial technology becomes decentralized, um, it creates less opportunity to manipulate in silos of centralization. Um, now, those still exist today, certainly. There's silos of centralization, like uh, Coinbase and places like that, um, and exchanges and various other things. Um, but many of them are all adjusting to, you know, and they're hedging their strategy around what it might look like in decentralization, while they're also building great user experiences for people that want to, you know, hold Bitcoin and kind of get on board for the first time and act very similar to how it does in a bank. Yeah, and I'll just finish this segment by saying for someone who is i guess you could say famous for following manipulation it really and you know i, I have a long i worked on wall street for a very long time it is remarkable i watch bitcoin it is not rigged it certainly is subject to insider trading and it is certainly extremely illiquid and thus subject to volatile swings although as you said because it's far more people are in it now it's far less volatile uh, than it used to be but it is in my view decidedly not rigged. So when you see what it's doing, it's real. And uh, and by the way, if they did add the ETF, I think it would be absolutely scary. I think the price would probably double overnight and then it would become dramatically more volatile as the Wall Street people came in. I don't know if you'd call that manipulation, but it would certainly be something I don't know if it's ready for just yet. Mm. Yeah, but you can't. You still can't change the supply. Um, yep. The supply, the supply economics are still the same, mm -hmm. the and the the demand can either go down or up. I can't see it going down. I can only see it becoming more and more useful to more mm -hmm. and more people. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, as somebody that's never actually sold Bitcoin, I spend Bitcoin. I I I uh, pay staff in Bitcoin, and I have suppliers all around the world that I'd rather you know, uh, pay them in Bitcoin just because of it's so much easy. But I've never actually gone on an exchange and tried to, to sell them at some kind of news panic or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, I really don't care if, if people are insider trading and manipulating the price short term. Um, you know, the, the price long term is not, is not something that um, is what I'm focused on as mm -hmm. opposed to some of the short term. And this, there's plenty of insiders that that I knew, that knew about the China announcement before it came out. I was live on the ground in Shanghai and were putting short orders in um, to protect their Bitcoin wealth. And there's certainly, uh, you know, elements of insider trading that's happening. But that's a, that's a short-term trend at the moment. 
Um, I haven't seen the long-term control and manipulation of Bitcoin at this at this phase yet. Yeah, and it's it's not they're not going to be able to do it. They're never going to be able to create a comex uh, to to hold the price down. It's that's well, so many people hold it. It's very hard to get hold of those bitcoins. That's right. It's well. right. It's very scarce, and the governments are not the people who own it. So uh, so anyway, uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to skip over. I was going to ask you about you know what you see coming, but you know I think you've discussed that ad nauseum, and you probably will on many other shows. Here's my last question. Uh, it's about your, your views about the wide world of ICOs. Now, clearly, it's early. Wild West-like stage has brought to market countless scams, but at the same time, some extremely innovative ideas that could one day prove valuable as investments and technology enhancements. How do you see the ICO slash altcoin market developing under your most likely scenario for Bitcoin? And do you believe decentralized financing vehicles will replace a material proportion of the legacy capital financing business. In other words, can ICOs replace stocks and bonds? So one of the first things that ICOs have done is they've started to disrupt Silicon Valley. And you can see Silicon Valley reacting right now. They're, they're trying to make sure that the, it's, it's now the first time in history where the most beneficial thing to do to raise finance is get the hell out of America and stay away from Silicon Valley. And most of the ICOs are making sure and taking procedures to make sure they don't take on U.S. investors. Um, there's a reason for that because you know the the the, the regulations in 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 the states um, are you know certain you know certain um, companies are not willing to kind of go through that process, and so the, there's a global investor um, you know, base that's that's. that's driving a lot of the, the, the innovation over to Singapore and Hong Kong and Cayman Islands and various other places. And, you know, um, <clears throat> and so it's no longer the right place, the right thing to do to, to, to go to Silicon Valley to get your funding. Um, now, Silicon Valley is certainly accumulating a lot of the Bitcoins. They understand that this could be very disruptive to them. And they're now certainly um, investing in a lot of these ICOs. And they're also stopping, many of them are stopping investing in equity because they like the liquidity that is being produced from, let's face it, scams, pump and dump schemes, and some people using ICOs to create network effects that can never be achieved under traditional finance. And you've got the complete spectrum right now. Um, you know, uh, we, we were investors in some of the really early ICOs. Um, you know, the, the first one, in fact, uh, Mastercoin and then Ethereum and Storage and MadeSafe and some of these, um, when it was very small sums of money that were being raised compared to what it is now. Um, and, you know, there's, it's a very challenging industry right now. There's just as many negatives as there are positives. So, you know, a lot of the venture capitalists have suddenly realized that they're hedge funds because there's short-term liquidity. Um, and therefore, sometimes the best investment strategy, and this is how we know we're in, you know, uh, while we, the early stage of this is causing, you know, in, in, insane thinking amongst investors and really being ex extremely disruptive in how you think. Because sometimes the best investment strategy might be to, you know, um, invest in a pump and dump, which makes more money than if you invest in a long-term venture capital and then actually build the technology because some of these ICOs are promising things that they're never going to be able to achieve. And if they actually built the technology, it would probably be hugely disappointing and crash the price because then they'd realize no one wants to use it. Um, so liquidity comes with just as many benefits as, as problems and as many problems as benefits. Um, and it's a very hard one to, 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 to solve right now, but it is just what it is. You know, um, at Bank to the Future, we were focused on investing in equity. And then we realized that more and more of our investors wanted to invest in tokens. So we had to adjust to that market. You know, we had regulated structures. We had great processes. We had the ability to attract the best deals. Um, but the way that people wanted to invest was changing. So we had a couple of reactions that we needed to make. Firstly, we started working on how you can have liquidity using tokens in some of the less liquid asset classes. Um, in a regulated environment um, and uh, started working on how you can use the blockchain to increase, um, you know, fairness into the market. Um, and we've been working on a lot of those things that we're, that we're looking at doing right now. And then the other side is we had to recognize that we, you know, the world, the world wants tokens. We can either fight that. And I was fighting it for a long time. I was telling people about the real challenges of ICOs um, or I could try and 
embrace it. And so, you know, we, we've had to embrace it. Um, the world is changing. Tokens are going nowhere. Every hedge fund, every financial institution, every investment bank is looking at how they can tokenize every single product. Every commodity is going to be tokenized. Every currency is going to be tokenized. Um, everything's going to be tokenized, and there's no reversing the trend right now. So, do you, so what do you is the future of that? So do you think that uh, if Bitcoin is going to take a big market share from fiat currency, will ICOs take a big market share from Wall Street? Um, no doubt about it, but someone on – so essentially we're going to have less geographical focus. So um, ICOs are truly global, and they don't create silos of wealth like Wall Street um, has and Silicon Valley has. So Silicon Valley and Wall Street has huge competition right now. They've got the most to lose in terms of global people. But where is this actually going? Well, I see, I see three things really important trends that are going to come from this. The first trend is that there's going to be more and more scams, more and more problems, and eventually we're going to have a bubble burst. A lot of people are going to lose money. They're going to complain to regulators. And then we're going to have mass regulation and you know court cases and all sorts of stuff. That's coming. That's inevitable. Um, that's you know wh where we're going next. Now, out of that will become a more regulated market and that regulated market is either going to go in two directions. It's either going to go to traditional Wall Street um, uh, that decide to adjust their model to to this, and they have a most you know most place to lobby and do the regulations. Or Silicon Valley is going to try and monopolize it again. Or fintech companies, which have a global focus, are going to come along and they're going to implement regulations. So, a part of Bank to the Future, we're making sure that we we've been working years on these regulations and what it might look like, but at the same time, we're keeping true to our, um, you know, our vision about where we came from because we, we came from this because of the belief that owning your own assets and being able to spend your own assets and having sound monetary policy and, and, and certain innovations that come from this are going to change the world. So we're trying to sit in that hybrid model of the, the regulated um, and also staying true to the vision of what it's actually going to be. But we're not going to be the, you know, the whole thing. There's going to be lots of people looking to do what we do, and there's going to be other markets as well. Right. The other market is going to be the fully anonymous, dark web, illegal ICO that is raising finance for things that the government doesn't want them to do um, fully anonymously, and that is going to be huge in the future. Just like Bitcoin allowed for people to do things on the dark web and, and, and transact and you know it opens up new things. There is going to be the fully anonymous, the fully decentralized, the fully um, illegal ICO and that is not that's going to be unstoppable. There's going to be no stopping that and you're going to have to rely on you know law enforcement and consumer protections to kind of do that. The other thing is that you've got this thing called a utility token, which is that um, the definition of some of these ICOs does not fit in with investment and securities law. And in order to do in order to make it fit in, you're going to have to change the laws. So there is huge disruption where people are going to look at, well, you know, how can I build network effects? You know, how can I fund things like the internet, which Tim Berners-Lee was not rich after inventing the internet, Google, Facebook, and all these companies were. But now, through this tokenization process and through utility tokens, Tim Berners-Lee could have been the richest person as the largest token holder in the invention of the internet, if that was still around at the time. But it, So what it has done is it's created an environment where people can stop focusing on how do I please VCs, how do I create business models that don't quite fit in? And how can I just focus on the technology? And if I build great technology, then the network effect of these tokens goes up. Um, and these are all three very interesting things. You've got the regulated environment where Wall Street and Silicon Valley is going to be geographically diversified around the world. Um, you've got the unregulated ICO that's going to fuel in you know huge funding into things that the government doesn't want to happen. Um, and then you've got this model whereby um, you can build network effects and not have to focus on pleasing VCs and pleasing uh, Wall Street in order to get to the IPO, which very few people will do, and just focus on the technology just the exact way Bitcoin was created. Um, all of those have pros, all of those have cons, and all it is is it goes right back to the original conversation we had. 
we are in a completely changing environment. The things that you think um, are going to change, the way that you interact with gold is going to change, the way you interact with bonds is going to change, the way you interact with stocks is going to change, the way you store the money, the way you own your money, how the money at the bank is going to operate, how the money on your phone is going to operate, how the money at the central bank is going to operate. Everything is going to change, and you either fight it or you get used to change. And unfortunately, I don't think there's any other alternative. Well, that I think sums it up about how the most important thing to get it out, out of this is, is that you need to educate yourself quickly as much as you can, even if it's from the basic level, because it is, change is inevitable. And, uh, and it's like nothing I've ever seen in my career. And probably no one alive has seen anything like the changes we're about to see. So on that note, I'd like to end here by, again, and I'm from the bottom of my heart, thanking you for all the fine work that you have done in uh, both advancing Bitcoin's development and educating the world of what you have learned. And to listeners, I advise you uh, to not only follow Simon on Twitter at, uh, at SimonDixTwit with two Ts, but watch for his appearances on the top cryptocurrency-related channels, uh, such as the world, recently, the World Crypto Network, the Bitcoin Meister channel, CrushTheStreet.com. And as for me, please check out the free seven-day trial membership at my brand new website, CryptoGoldCentral.com, and let me know what you think. I've already posted close to 200 unique blog posts on topics ranging from Bitcoin to altcoins, ICOs, and precious metals, and intend to work as hard as Simon does to help readers learn about what I view to be the most transformational technology of our lifetimes and the best investment opportunity. Uh, on that note, thanks, and have a great crypto day.